0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. We're broadcasting again this afternoon from Truett McConnell University in Cleveland, Georgia. To find out more about TMU, which is a Baptist university committed to equipping their students for the marketplace and public service with a biblical worldview, go to TonyPerkins.com. Well, coming up on this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch, we are looking at the diplomatic efforts aimed at averting war in Ukraine. Are they bearing
2: fruit? We analyze the response given in writing by the U.S. on 26th of January, but now it's already clear, and I said that to Mr. Prime Minister, that Russian concerns were basically ignored. Those were translated
1: remarks of Russian President Vladimir Putin earlier today. We'll talk with Florida Congressman Mike Waltz, a member of the House Armed Services Committee. And President Biden held a meeting this afternoon with the senators in the uh, Senator Durbin and Grassley, who hold leadership positions on the Senate Judiciary Committee. The meeting was to discuss the president's pending Supreme Court nomination. Chuck Schumer, Democratic leader in the Senate, says
2: they're ready. Once President Biden announces his nominee... I intend to have the Senate move quickly so we can fulfill our constitutional duty to advise and consent and ultimately confirm the President's pick.
1: We'll get the latest on the pending Supreme Court nomination from Senator Todd Young of Indiana. Senator Young will also weigh in on China's Genocide Olympics. You've probably seen pictures or at least read the stories of the smash and grab robberies in California. In fact, the robbing of trains carrying Amazon and UPS packages has Union Pacific Railroad looking to avoid Los Angeles, where during the Christmas season, uh, more than uh, 90 containers were broken into on an average day. Clothing stores and other retailers have also been targeted by smash and grab thefts in Southern California. What's behind it? What can be done? We'll talk with Josiah O'Neill, a law enforcement officer that is also a part of a citizen-led response to the left's pandemic of lawlessness. And finally, the president of Israel, Isaac Herzog, visited the United Arab Emirates earlier this week. What are we to make of the normalizing of relationships between Israel and many of their Arab neighbors? What's behind it, and where might it lead? We'll talk with CBN Middle East Bureau Chief Chris Mitchell from Jerusalem. Chris also has written a book about World War II. It's not a geopolitical look at the war, but a personal look. I'll let Chris explain when he joins us later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, you can find it all later at Perkins.com. The Bible verse for today from our two-year Bible reading plan, Stand on the Word, is Job three four. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. To join us in our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Earlier today, Russian President Vladimir Putin spoke publicly for the first time on the standoff over Ukraine, criticizing the U.S. and NATO for having only addressed Russia's secondary concerns and not their fundamental concerns. He also accused the U.S. of caring less about Ukraine's security and more about restricting Russia's development. Still, Putin said Russia remains open to more talks, and he hopes a solution will eventually be found. Joining me now with more on this and what is happening in the uh, U- in U.K. is our good friend, Congressman Mike Waltz of Florida. He is a member of the House Armed Services Committee. He is a ranking member on the Subcommittee of Readiness, a decorated special forces officer. He represents the 6th Congressional District of the Sunshine State. Congressman Waltz, welcome back to the program. Hey, good to be with you, Tony. Thanks. Now, we've talked before about the issues, the primary issues that Vladimir Putin is talking about, and that is to keep NATO uh, or UK, Ukraine rather, out of NATO and NATO uh, far from the borders of Russia. Uh, but do you see any positive signs that the diplomatic efforts here might be paying off?
3: You know, I don't really, Tony. And just to address that concern from uh, from Putin, I think it's really kind of a, you know, a bit of a red herring. It's a feigned concern. Uh, he knows in order for Ukraine to enter NATO, it's going to take consensus from all 30 NATO states. And Putin also knows that Germany has issues with it. France has issues with it. So does Turkey. Uh, so that's a false concern. I think his deeper concern, his real concern, is that countries on his periphery prefer our values, prefer open markets, Freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion, uh, and and no longer want to be under Putin's thumb, and uh, Ukraine is can you know is is heading uh, towards a more Western oriented direction, uh, and he and Putin is determined determined to stop it in its tracks, and is using some of these concerns, and I think frankly is using diplomacy, uh, knowing that Biden, Blinken, and others. Uh, will will fall all over themselves in the diplomatic sphere. Uh, he's Putin's using it to buy time. The entire time he's been uh, Putin has been engaged in talks. Uh, we have watched rail car after rail car of tanks, missile launchers, aircraft, even ships uh, heading towards Ukraine's border. Uh, so again, I, I I think he's buying time.
1: Now, Congressman, uh, you also have spoken out about the Winter Olympics in China, uh, and we're seeing this, uh, you know, warming of relationships between China and Russia. You know, China taking Russia's side at the U.N., uh, potentially being a, uh, you know, a a financier for, uh, for Russia if sanctions go into place. Could that be a factor in Putin's decision that he doesn't want to offend China as they get center stage during the Winter Olympics?
3: You know, I think it's a factor, uh, but we have to remember, Tony, that that Russia invaded Georgia back in 2008 uh, during the Beijing uh, Summer Olympics. Back then, uh, he invaded Ukraine uh, the first time right after the Sochi Olympics. So dictators love the Olympics. uh, And I think it's going to happen right about the tail end if Putin decides to do it, because the ground will still be hard enough to support his tanks. Uh, And things will begin warming up in Ukraine in the spring, and they'll literally get bogged down. But I think the bigger issue, to take it up a level, is this week you're going to see Putin and Xi standing side by side at the Olympics, which we shouldn't be at. Uh, By being there, we are turning a blind eye uh, to COVID released on the world uh, and grotesque human rights violations and attacks on Christians uh, and the freedom of religion all over China but the bottom line is Pooh and Z will Pooh and Z will be standing side by side, sending a very strong symbolic message that there's a new sheriff in town uh, and it's not the united states uh, and 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 I think that is something I don't want our kids or grandkids in a world led by either of them that I want our kids and grandkids growing up in
1: i mean this does complicate the the ground there in Ukraine where we have to also factor in China and their response, because I was talking with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo yesterday, former Secretary of State. Uh, And he agrees China is a greater threat to us than Russia. Absolutely. Uh, Russia has, they have the intent, but they really don't have a lot of capacity. China has both.
3: No, absolutely. And I want to be clear, you know, China is uh, our number one threat by far, not even, uh, uh, you know, by a little. Uh, and I want to be clear, of course, our border and American borders and our issues here at home uh, uh, should take priority than, than, than dealing with Ukraine. That, I, I, that said, it's not an either or. Uh, Putin uh, fully intends to recreate the Soviet Union in his image. He stated so repeatedly. And I do not think he's going to stop with Ukraine, I'm not saying it rises to the level of putting American boots on the ground, but I am saying that Biden should be playing this much more tough. Uh, sanctions should be in place now. Uh, there's types of lethal aid we can provide to help the Ukrainians fight for themselves. I was just out there a month ago, and they fully intend to do so. So there's more that we could be doing to frustrate Putin's grand scheme. Uh, and, and I think right now, you know, we have to realize Putin is doing this because, He smells weakness in this White House. He believes he can get away with it. He believes he has more to gain than will lose. And at the end of the day, he doesn't believe the Europeans are going to get on board with these tough sanctions because he's got a gun to their head in terms of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, uh, and he's created dependency on their gas. And finally, I can't state this enough, Tony, Biden's failed energy policy of moving us away from energy independence has moved the world towards uh, russian oil and gas and has given putin the upper hand made him a lot richer uh and 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 we're seeing the world in chaos because of it
1: uh, Congressman Nault, you mentioned the, the sanctions that we ought to have sanctions in place now, and that seems to be yes. uh, kind of a, uh, a stumbling block in the Senate where there is bipartisan support to support Ukraine and to, uh, you know, to 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 stop Russia. But it appears the Democrats want sanctions after an invasion. Republicans think uh, it needs to be done now. Uh, any uh, any possibility of breakthrough there this week?
3: You know, we'll see how that moves through the Senate, but I think if it comes through, uh, I hope that we can then move it, move it into the House and push the administration in the right direction. That at the end of the day, you put sanctions in place now, you make Putin feel the pain now, uh, and then you pull them back if he de-escalates. What Biden is doing is basically giving away all of our leverage and not putting any on the table. And you know, when I was out in Ukraine, they said it doesn't do them a lot of good to talk about tough actions that you're going to take after they're invaded, Russian tanks are sitting in their capital. Uh, And and I absolutely agree with him. We have to deter Putin from taking these actions on the front end. The other thing that we should be doing, uh, and this Senate bill uh, has provisions to do that, is make it clear that we will continue to resource any type of Ukrainian resistance. It's only if Putin believes that this is going to be a quagmire for him politically uh, and militarily that I think he may think twice about moving forward with an invasion.
1: Well, you made reference earlier that uh, you're not advocating put troops on the ground. And when you have a strong military, you don't have to use it as much. And that's right. I think you you've expressed concerns about this. And I want to I want to turn to John Kirby was on Fox News Sunday uh, and he was asked about wokeness in our nation's military. I want to play this uh, clip and get your response.
3: I mean, those those kinds of arguments, I I think, uh, I I think are uh, ridiculous because we are a stronger military because of our diversity and because we represent all Americans, just like we defend all Americans.
1: Uh, Are you concerned about the direction of our military and the wokeness that has uh, infiltrated under this administration?
3: Oh, I'm absolutely concerned. And Tony, I want to be clear. The U.S. military should be open to all those kinds of arguments, black uh, black, white, or brown, whatever uh, religious background you have, as it always has been. My issue is when you have West Point, the United States Military Academy, teaching its cadets how to deal with your whiteness and white rage in a seminar that over 100 future leaders of our military attended, when you're teaching them, it, what, what the Democrats keep talking about is, well, we should teach uh, you know, and have an honest accounting of our history. I absolutely agree. What we're talking about is indoctrinating now that you have some citizens that are oppressed, other citizens uh, that are the oppressors because of their skin color, uh, no matter what they've done in their life, uh, and and that we have uh, our founding documents that our military has to defend are institutionally and fundamentally racist, misogynist, colonialist. Uh, I think that erodes morale. I think that erodes civilian oversight. Uh, and and you know the, the Democrats keep talking about history and diversity training. I'm fine with all of that. What I'm talking about this kind of CRT-inspired indoctrination that is happening, despite right. their denials. And I have a letter from the West Point of the super, uh, from the superintendent of West Point saying CRT 101 is part of their curriculum. Uh, and when I uh, hopefully become chairman of the readiness subcommittee, which is responsible for training, we're going to ban it and uh, we're going to cut out this cancer.
1: Well, and I want to talk more about that. Congressman Mike it's always great to have you on. We're out of time. Talk to you soon.
3: Okay, thanks so much, Tony.
1: Folks, stick with us. We're coming back with more Washington Watch after the break.
4: Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible, FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily Scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God. And he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square.
5: to six seven seven four two.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, President Biden was scheduled to, to meet, or he actually did meet, with the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, as well as the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee earlier today to discuss the filling of the Supreme Court, soon to be Supreme Court, vacancy. Uh, He plans to fill the spot with the first black female justice. Meanwhile, in the Senate, senior Democrats again said they would keep To an expeditious timeline for consideration of President Biden's eventual pick, which is expected later this month. Here to talk about what we might expect to see in the coming weeks is Senator Todd Young of Indiana. Senator, welcome back to the program.
2: Thanks for having me on, Tony.
1: So, uh, Kent, what what can you tell us about the chatter you're hearing in the Senate right now about uh, the president's nomination, pending nomination?
2: I think uh, uh, Republicans who who, uh, tend to be faithful constitutionalists, people uh, who think that judges uh, should not play the role of legislator, but instead apply the laws as written in the Constitution um, uh, per its uh, original uh, reading and and intention, uh, I I am hearing from most of them that they want to give the president an opportunity to uh, nominate somebody that has the requisite background, temperament. Uh, and judicial philosophy uh, to actually serve, uh, you know, credibly and with distinction on that highest court in the land. I will tell you there's a lot of skepticism from myself and from others that uh, this president's going to do so. We've seen a lot of his judges uh, that have been of a progressive bent, uh, not inclined to let uh, statutes or the constitution sort of speak for themselves. And, and so uh, we are going, I, uh, in uh, fair-minded, but, uh, I guess, open eyed uh, about uh, uh, what awaits us in coming weeks. Well,
1: I actually think you're it's appropriate to be somewhat suspect of based upon the president's own comments. There's not been much discussion about judicial temperament or philosophy. It's been more about the left's typical identity politics. Um You know, I I think we should be looking for the most qualified individuals to serve on the court. And Obviously, it's going to be someone to the left based upon their uh, view of the Constitution being a living, breathing document. But they're not even talking about that. They're just talking about the president's committed uh, to nominating a black female to the court. I mean, that seems to be overriding qualifications.
2: It it, it does indeed. Um, You know, uh, I would like uh, someone who's who's credible, irrespective. Uh, of their race or gender or any other uh unrelated uh you know attributes uh, uh they need to be an effective jurist uh, and that's what it really comes down to so uh, none of this stuff uh, should be crowding into our decisions, and in, in terms of our human resources uh, efforts in the United States Senate, uh, Republicans have, have been emphasizing uh, that point time and again. I think that on the Democrat side, you know, as, as I hear from some of my colleagues, they're a bit anxious about what might await them. For the last year or so, uh, they've had some grand designs uh, about various initiatives, and uh, not a whole lot has gone their way, to put it candidly. Uh, whether mm-hmm. it uh, but the, the The influx of people from the southern border, the build back better plan that uh, never came to fruition, so on and so forth, so they're on tinter hooks, and I would uh, characterize our side as as more relaxed, understanding that in the end uh, Democrats are likely to have the votes to pass uh, uh whatever nominee the president puts before them, and uh, our side will still maintain. Uh, a, uh, a majority uh, of uh, very qualified members, uh, three of which uh, were, of course, confirmed during the Trump years. So, um, look, we're, we're, we're going in um, uh, open minded, but not absent minded. And uh, we'll sk- heavily scrutinize whomever uh, is put before us.
1: You make some really good points, uh, Senator Young, because first off, uh, 51 votes passes. The Democrats with the vice president have 51 votes. That's how the Republicans narrowly passed their uh, last two nominees to the Supreme Court. So you're right. It's probably going to happen. But is this not an opportunity once again? We've seen this in the last two election cycles to educate the American public on the importance of the courts and the senators that confirm those justices.
2: Well, it is indeed, uh, I would say this is if not the most uh fundamental and, and important responsibility we have it it's certainly right up there, along with uh you know authorizing military force for our, our troops to go into foreign lands i mean this is uh, this this impacts every facet of our life from or uh, the right to free speech, which uh, I heard about in the previous segment to uh, you know our ability to Uh, worship uh, whatever God we like, uh, to uh, our ability to bear arms. I mean, it all comes back to these fundamental constitutional rights uh, in a way that perhaps legislating doesn't on a daily basis. So uh, the American American people need to uh, understand just uh, how important uh, Republican control the United States Senate has been in recent years and um, how important it could be uh, should everything go well for the Republican Party come November.
1: Yeah, so it's another clear contrast between the ruling philosophies of the parties. Uh, very quickly, Senator, we're almost out of time, but I want to switch gears here on the final question. Olympics kick off this Friday. You're calling on the world community to take a stand against China's authoritarian regime ahead of the Olympics. What needs to be happening right now?
2: Well, thank you, uh, Tony. Look, uh, we all need to root hard for our athletes, of course, but well, we shouldn't let this opportunity go to waste when we can bring some context to uh, this, this grand stage uh, on which the games are being played in Beijing. Uh, I've been calling attention to China's uh, worst human rights abuses on social media, using the hashtag Beijing Behaves Bad, behaving badly, Beijing behaving badly, uh, so I can highlight their gross human rights violations, their censoring of the Internet, their abuses of journalists. Um, and, and their ongoing genocide against Uyghur Muslims. Uh, these are the sorts of things uh, that uh, you're unlikely to hear on NBC and need to hear from uh, your U.S. Yeah. senator.
1: Well, you know what? And that's a good idea, Senator. I might, uh, as everybody's covering the sports angle, I may cover the abuse angle next week uh, during the Olympics. Senator Todd Young, always great to have you on. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. All Thank right, you, folks, son. coming up, Smash and grab robberies are plaguing Southern California and some in the state are hoping to do something about it. Citizens are rising up and uh, they want to put something on the ballot. We're going to be talking about that next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. More Washington Watch to come right after this. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. As I mentioned, we are broadcasting today from Truett McConnell University in Cleveland, Georgia, a Christian university that is a, all about equipping young people to work from a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview perspective, whether it's in public service or whether it's in the marketplace. Find out more about TMU. Go to Tony All right. By now, you've probably read or seen footage of the brazen smash and grab robberies plaguing California. But should anyone be surprised? This pandemic of lawlessness is the fruit of the left's public policy. But citizens have had enough. And they are organizing to stop it. Here with me to talk about this initiative and the policies that have fueled the crime wave in the Golden State is uh, Josiah O'Neill. He's a law enforcement officer, but he's also working on this citizen initiative. Uh, Josiah, welcome to
0: Washington Watch. Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: So, first off, let's, uh, before we get to the initiative that signatures are being gathered to uh, place this onto the ballot, let's talk about what is it that prompted this? I mean, we've seen the pictures, we've seen the rail yards in Los Angeles littered. Uh, we've seen people going into stores in broad daylight, uh, robbing. Um, I mean, it's like lawlessness unleashed. What's behind it?
0: Sure. This initiative is really a direct result of uh, several different things. Uh, Most obviously the incredible rise in crime here in Southern California, but specifically Prop 47 and AB 109. Uh, For those who aren't familiar, Prop 47 was a proposition that passed here in California uh, directly related to reducing uh, the charge level for narcotics crimes as well as property crimes. For example, prior to this proposition, the possession of hard narcotics like fentanyl and cocaine and methamphetamine uh, would have been felonies. After Prop 47 in 2014, they became nothing more than citations, releasing thousands upon thousands of individuals who would otherwise be in prison. Uh, That also went for property crimes where previously if you stole something worth $450 or more, it was considered a felony and thus prison prison sentence. Uh, Prop 47 changed that to a higher dollar value of 950 dollars those of us in the know realize that property crimes and narcotics crimes are closely uh, related to one another, and this caused an incredible rise in both violent crime and narcotics arrest throughout the state.
1: I mean, I've heard of criminals actually having calculators going into the stores to make sure they didn't exceed the, the limit uh, to, so that they could basically walk free uh, if they're under uh, essentially the, the $1,000 limit for theft,
0: yeah, unbelievably so. But that, unfortunately, is true. And and likewise, there's a one, at least one store owner that I know of in the Los Angeles area who's marked every item in his store uh, $951. And that's primarily to get around uh, the issue of non-arrests for these individuals. So it's become quite the problem. So
1: the business owners are seeing this. Citizens are seeing it because stores are closing. Uh, They're not uh, open, a lot of times not open after dark. I mean, it's just becoming uh, a a very violent, as you said, the the relationship between property crimes and narcotics. But citizens are taking an initiative here to fix what the politicians won't. Tell us about it.
0: Yeah, so it's not a direct reversal of the proposition, but essentially what, uh, what we're seeking is at least 800,000 signatures here to roll back some of the damage done uh, by these bad policies. Um, and, and specifically, we're talking enhancements for these crimes. So while we won't be able to exactly reverse the dollar amount for property crime, we're seeking an enhancement for, for example, if you're caught burglarizing or shoplifting three times, on the third time, there's an enhanced sentence And it's really tools in the hands of law enforcement to deal with it. What we're seeing here is unprecedented, uh, really in cities all throughout the state. But most notably here where I'm at in the Southern California region, uh, it's become a disaster that's attracted everyone's attention Um, from Los Angeles to San Francisco and even here in in San Diego County, uh, the crime is out of control because they know there's no consequences on both ends. And for those who don't know, most property crime is driven uh, by narcotics use. When you need to get high and you can't get it, you break into cars and you conduct smash and grabs and you rob people at gunpoint.
1: And, and Josiah, I know uh, I, I know your background, you served uh, in the State Department, you've traveled and worked internationally. I mean, when you see this lawlessness on the streets of America, you have to wonder sometimes what country you're in, because this is the type of stuff you see in third world countries.
0: Yes. As, as, uh, as was duly noted by Governor Newsom here recently uh, in, a, um, in a recent media spot where he was picking up trash along the train tracks where armed gangs have been robbing uh, trains loaded with supplies. Was, look, we already have enough problems with the supply chain out here. So these policies have to be dealt with. And, and we really believe that the people are going to speak on this. And this initiative we're pushing called the smash and grab initiative can deal a serious blow uh, to the crime and, uh, impact that's been seen out here.
1: And so, uh, you're getting, you want citizens there in California to sign a petition to get their name on that so that this can then get onto the ballot in November. Is that correct?
0: That's correct. Uh, the attorney general has approved at this point. So we are embarking on a signature collection effort. And, uh, as we've seen from other recent efforts, we, we believe we, we will be successful.
1: Very quickly. Where can people go to, uh, add their signature?
0: You can search smash and Grab. Uh, if you just Google it, that's the easiest way. Rescue California and and more are heading this up. And there's a, a lot of information readily available on the internet. All right.
1: Josiah O'Neill, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your leadership out
0: there in uh, Southern California. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated.
1: Absolutely. If you live in California, I know we've got a lot of listeners in California. Go to TonyPerkins.com. We'll have a link up there so you can go to that site, add your signature. This is This pandemic of lawlessness is the result of the left's public policy. I mean, we've got to work for law and order. All right, coming up next, Chris Mitchell from Jerusalem joins us to talk about what's happening in the Middle East with Israel and some of their Arab neighbors. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
7: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news?
8: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
1: You are listening to Washington Watch, and I'm your host. Tony Perkins. Earlier this week, Israeli President Isaac Herzog traveled to the United Arab Emirates for the first ever Israeli presidential visit to the country. During the trip, President Herzog joined UAE Crown Prince Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed for more than two hours in a uh, meeting that was described by his office as warm and cordial. With me to talk about the meeting, how it came to be, and what it could mean for the future of the middle east as we see israel uh, becoming more friendly with its arab neighbors is cn cbn middle uh, cbn news middle east bureau chief chris mitchell Uh, chris welcome back to washington watch
9: hey tony great to be with you again
1: yeah you should be the one stumbling because it's uh, about midnight over there (laughs) in uh, jerusalem not me um this is pretty historic, what we're seeing happening. Of course, this is a part of the Abraham Accords that uh, President Trump was able to arrange. But these things didn't stop with the Trump administration. It's still going on.
9: Not at all, Tony. And I think it's in the uh, interest not only of Israel, but many of these Sunni Arab nations, uh, like the United Arab Emirates. Another one is Bahrain, uh, Sudan, and Morocco. They're all part of the uh, Abraham Accords uh, recently, the prime minister, Naftali Bennett, he went down to the UAE, uh, but now the you know, president of Israel. It was a historic visit and uh, just sign of the, uh, the growing relationships uh, economically, diplomatically, even militarily uh, between Israel and many of these nations. It's, it's really changing the face of the Middle East
1: well when you look at uh, from a military standpoint you've got intel that's being shared because they have common threats uh, obviously iran is uh, is something that's helping bring these countries together uh, what, what what's behind this you know what what brought this about
9: Well, I think it was uh, probably the diplomatic initiative of uh, what happened during the Trump administration. You mentioned earlier uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo here in Israel. uh, It was uh, David Friedman, the U.S. ambassador, and President Trump. You know, they had uh, just pivotal roles in actually bringing what was already beginning. I mean, uh, Tony, you've been on some of those visits with our friend Joel Rosenberg, and uh, some of these relationships were brewing under the surface. They weren't public, but now they're out in the open with the Abraham Accords. And I think, uh, as you mentioned as well, Iran really is another driving force in this relationship. They see Iran, the Shiite country, trying to have uh, hegemony around the the whole region, and they want to present a united front. Against this Iran is encroaching in Lebanon and Syria and Yemen and uh, in Iraq as well, so they see that as a as an existential threat. Uh, the Sunni Arab nations maybe even more than Israel, so they want to present a united front
1: yeah they, I, I was uh, fascinated by my trip to uh, to the Uh, United Arab Emirates in the conversations we had with the crown prince. And and, and actually, uh, as I discovered for the first time, Chris, really what laid the foundation for a uh, uh, really an open potential relationship with the West uh, were, were missionaries uh, that went there years ago, medical missionaries uh, who actually helped save the lives of some of the crown prince's families. And so, you know, you see this combination of, you know, Christian uh, ministry and missions really paving the way and opening the door for normalizing relationships. It's, it's quite fascinating when you see all these pieces come together.
9: Yeah, that's that was a great part of the backstory of what happened in, in the UAE and uh, and when we were there, and uh, just see how the what impact these missionaries did have. And one other element, uh, Tony, about the visit of the uh, president during his visit, the Houthis, this terrorist organization backed by Iran in Yemen, fired a ballistic missile uh, against uh, the UAE, and uh, and certainly it was a signal by Iran that uh, that we're watching these growing relationships. And uh, we want to interfere with those. We want to present a message that this is not the kind of Middle East we want, because from the Iranian perspective, they see these relationships, these growing relationships uh, between these Sunni Arab nations and Israel as a threat. So you, Mm -hmm. you see these two forces converging right now in the Middle East
1: Well, let me ask you about that, because we do see the normalization of these relationships. You you mentioned uh, not only the UAE, we're talking about Sudan, uh, you know, even with Saudi Arabia, there's uh, warmer relationships there. We're seeing this happening. Um, Is there a relationship with Amnesty and their report coming out calling Israel an apartheid state? Are, Are there those that just do not want to see Israel getting along and being accepted in the community?
9: Uh, Not at all. We did a story on that uh, Amnesty International report earlier uh, today on uh, CBN News. And uh, certainly if you read some of the report, and if you actually come here to Israel and see what's really on the ground, you've been here many times, Tony. uh, You don't have to be here very long just to realize going through Jerusalem or different parts of Israel. Israel's not apartheid. It is, uh, you know, that stigma of that word from uh, the the horrific— uh, situation there in uh, South Africa from, say, 1948 to the mid-1990s, it's not like that. And uh, Amnesty International seems to be part of the BDS movement, uh, the anti-Zionist movement, those that want to delegitimize and uh, uh, the Jewish state. So that's part of the, uh, the equation right now as well. Some people that want to undermine the whole notion of an Israel, and they really they really want to see an end to the Jewish state and, uh, and the state of Israel.
1: Uh, Chris Mitchell, I, I want to get to um, a side that most people may not be aware of. Chris Mitchell, the author, you know, you've written a book, and, and I, I want to talk about that. It's a, it's a book about World War II, not a geopolitical look, but a personal look. But I want to ask you one final question uh, regarding geopolitical issues, and that is this uh, conflict, in russia ukraine the United States, Israel, does this have the potential to affect the relationship between America and um, Israel?
9: I think it does. And I think uh, Israel's watching closely what's happening in Ukraine right now. They, you know, they also have uh, good relations with both Ukraine and Russia. They have uh, good relations with Ukraine. It's a democratic country. Uh, so that that really, they're on the same level there. On the other hand, they have good relations with Russia. The reason they need those good relations is that they uh, they actually need uh, to go into militarily into Syria to stop Iranian encroachment and the military development inside Syria. Now, nothing goes on right now inside Syria without the permission of Vladimir Putin. So he has given them free reign many times to go into Syria to stop Iran. So it's a complicated relationship. But I would say overall, uh, uh, Tony, that it's really the weakness of the United States that concerns Israel very much. The pull out from Afghanistan, the desire, the, almost the eagerness to go back into perhaps a flawed nuclear military uh, n- nuclear deal with uh, Iran. Those things trouble Israel greatly. They would affect the relationship here in the Middle East as well as with the United States.
1: And all of these uh, factors are intertwined. And when you look at our foreign policy, you have to consider. All of these factors. Okay, Chris Mitchell, I want to I want to shift gears here and talk uh, to Chris Mitchell, the uh, the author. You've written the book. Tell us about it.
9: Well, uh, Tony, it's called Dearest AJ, and it's uh, it's at the letters that uh, that kept love alive through the midst of war. You see the uh, the cover there. That's my mother on the left. That's my dad, uh, Mitch, on the right. Uh, they met before World War II. They met at South Station in Boston. Uh, they obviously hit it off. And uh, they began a relationship before the war. And then uh, my dad was in the service uh, before the war. He was actually uh, due to get out around Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor changed the lives of so many people. So he stayed in the war. He went over to uh, North Africa, to Sicily, to Italy. He was in a medical battalion, the 54th Medical Battalion. Uh, He helped set up field hospitals. He directed ambulance and uh, ambulance drivers. And so what happened when my mother passed away in 2002, my sister Jean and I have uh, my sister Jean and two other brothers, Brian and Kevin, we found these letters in her closet. There was 75 notes and, and letters that my dad, Mitch, had wrote wrote to uh, uh, our mother. He called her A.J. Her name is Ann Jean. And uh, we just read these letters and they were just a treasure of their relationship, their love before, between each other. And it was also a chronicle of my dad's wartime experiences. Uh, he talked about what it was like in North Africa. He got there just as the campaign to defeat uh, Rommel was over. But then he was on in Sicily, uh, and he got malaria in Sicily. Uh, when he recovered, he went into Italy, and he went all the way up to, uh, uh, to Rome. He was there in the liberation of Rome, and he went into, uh, all the way up to a place called Cortina at the end of the war. Uh, just a fascinating Uh, a double story about the love between them and also a chronicle of my dad's wartime experiences. Uh, Some of the letters, one of them is like this. It's called the V-mail. Now, when uh, there were so many letters going on, they used to microfilm these letters. And and this is one example of uh, the letters. And this is one of the things that he says. He said, darling, Every day that passes is a day nearer to home and a day closer to you. Let's hope and pray that God will hasten the end. Uh, this is his letter from time He was in the first day of uh, Rome when Rome fell, June 4th, 1944. And uh, he was describing to Anne, and he called her A.J. That's why the book is called Dearest A.J. He said, the country around Rome is very beautiful with fields and rolling hills just covered with poppies and other f- flowers. I would give anything to have you with me, seeing these things with this war not in existence. Here and there are the effects of war spoiled, the natural beauty, a bridge blown up, a tank knocked out, a field burnt and full of shell holes. And uh, so we wanted to put these all together and uh, tell a story uh, not only of my mom and dad, but it's really a uh, a testimony to the Greatest Generation—the uh, men and women who really endured World War II—they uh, gave us the freedom we had, uh, you know, for for decades now. And uh, so, tribute uh, to the Greatest Generation. It's also a tribute to uh, to my mom and dad. My dad won the Bronze Star for his efforts in the war, and uh, they came back. They uh, they had a family, and uh, they have grandchildren. And, uh, and it's just uh, to me a heartwarming story. I think veterans like yourself and General Boykin would love it, uh, but I think anybody would love a good a good love story. Uh, and my dad just pours his heart out through these uh, through these letters. You get an idea of he's sitting by a fire, uh, the snow's uh, falling, the artillery he called it when uh, you know going into sweating it out the artillery. I think he hated that most of all. He had a close friend that was killed by a mortar fragment, uh, and it's just a wonderful story. I uh, I loved writing the book. I loved. Uh, you know, learning more about my dad, and I really wish I was was able to experience the things he did. Uh, you know, the the troubles he had. Uh, he did tell us some of the war stories, but he didn't tell us them all. But uh, we found out many more through these letters.
1: You know, it's remarkable, uh, Chris, because you know today. Letters, you know, very few people write letters. You know, we've got email, we've got all this communication. We have a phone call. You pick up a phone, you call someone across the the world. Uh, so these letters, it's almost something that has uh, been lost. Did Did you not know that these letters even existed until your mother passed away?
9: No, we didn't. Uh, we didn't. My my sister, we were going through my mom's belongings. My dad passed away in nineteen ninety nine, and uh, when mom passed away, uh, we didn't know. And and there were seventy five, and it really was a A really a treasure trove for us as a family. And, uh, you know, what got them through this time, and you can see that all through the letters, was certainly their love for each other. And it was their faith in God that really uh, kept them together. Uh, My dad refers many times about praying uh, to get home to her, praying to get through the war. And uh, so sort of our family motto is uh, faith, family, and friends. And, And you can see that through the letter. And as you said, you know, letters, it's really a lost art right now. Uh, you know, with the email and ubiquitous uh, phones and iphones, uh, you miss that and and these these uh, times with a letter you the words, the feelings the passion it marinates in your soul and your spirit, and it comes out on pen and paper and uh, it, it really I think is something that we really should recover or re- recover yeah. perhaps in our, in our world today.
1: Yeah, I remember writing those letters when I was in uh, the Marine Corps, and you think long and hard because you only got so much paper uh, to write with. So you're very, uh, very, very judicious with the words that you use. Uh, Chris, how can folks get a copy of uh, the book?
9: Well, it just came out today on Amazon, Tony, so they can go to Amazon and and uh, and put in "dearest AJ." Uh, You see it right there. And uh, the letters that kept love alive through the midst of war. uh, That's the main way people can get it right now is uh, is through Amazon.
1: Final question for you as you read through those letters. Was there anything you just said, wow, I had no idea?
9: Yeah, my dad. I mean, I thought of the times when he was uh, on the troop ship. Uh, It was called the Maripasso. Uh, we found that out when we were doing the research, what he was feeling, maybe the anxieties he was feeling. Uh, the time when he was in Sicily, he had hit malaria. He went down to 120 pounds, and then he went to rejoin his unit. What was his thinking? You know, he was saying in Sicily, he was traveling like 100 miles a day. And I'm thinking, what was that like? And I, I just would have loved to have been sitting beside him and, and uh, experiencing that. The troops... Back, what that was like, what it was feelings. He's been a, away from uh, AJ for like three and a half years. What was he feeling? Was he anxious? What were they going to look like uh, when they first saw each other? And uh, so, yeah, all of that. I, I as I was reading the letters, I'm thinking, what was my dad thinking, and uh, and and what was he feeling? And uh, it was just a wonderful way, I really. And and Tony, finally, there is a there is a scripture that we we put in the book, honor thy father and mother. And it's a wonderful way to uh, to experience what they went through and honor the sacrifice they went through for all of us.
1: Yeah, powerful story. I encourage folks to get a copy of it. I look forward to reading it myself. Chris Mitchell, always great to, uh, to have you on. Thanks so much for joining us late at night from Jerusalem.
9: Thanks, Tony. Great to be with you.
1: All right. And folks, thank you for joining us as well. And I want to leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul. Where he says in Ephesians 6, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, when you've taken your stand. By all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported.